It's always tragic when people walk away from Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. It was tragic when the rich young man walked away after our Lord challenged him to give up his possessions and become a disciple. It was tragic when the people who heard the Bread of Life discourse walked away, as we were told they did in today's Gospel reading from John chapter 6. The text reads, As a result of this, many of his disciples returned to their former way of life and no longer accompanied him. But it's even more tragic, my brothers and sisters, when people walk away from Jesus Christ because of the scandalous and sinful behavior of Christians, especially members of the clergy. When the rich young man walked away from our Lord, he did it because of his materialism. When the people in John 6 walked away from Jesus, they did it because their faith was weak. But when those who have been abused by members of the clergy, Catholic or non-Catholic, walk away from Jesus Christ, they walk away with a wound, with a wound that cuts them to the core and undermines the very foundations of their faith. And unfortunately, it's a wound that does not easily heal. Whenever I hear of the immoral and scandalous behavior of bishops, priests, and deacons of the Church, which I have quite often in recent weeks, I thank God for the blessings He gave me in my youth in protecting me from such things. Some of you know my mother was the secretary at Holy Angels Church in Barrington when I was growing up. I did maintenance work at the parish as a teenager. I was an altar boy. I was involved in CYO and youth ministry. I even taught CCD. Consequently, I was around a lot of priests a lot of the time as an adolescent and young adult. Some of those priests you probably know, Father Judice, most of you know him, Father Pat Rotundi, who was the pastor of Holy Angels at the time, Father Bob Evans, who's now Bishop Evans, Father Jim Vertilotti, Father Bob McManus, who's now Bishop McManus of Worcester. I was around those men and many, many, many other priests. Never did I have a bad experience with any of them. Never. They were good men who were very good to me. I was totally comfortable with them, praise God. For example, I can remember going into the rectory every once in a while when I was taking a break from my maintenance work. Can I, re I can remember saying to my mom, would you please buzz Father Pat and see if he can hear my confession. So she'd buzz him on the intercom and normally he would say yes unless he was working on a homily or something really important. And I would proceed to go up to the second floor to his private quarters take a seat in his sitting room, and make my confession. Now, nowadays, that kind of thing would never happen, and should never happen, given the scandals of the last 20 years. But back then, in all honesty, I thought nothing of it. Father Pat always treated me with respect and compassion, which was really good when I was making my confession to him. Plus, he was really smart and had a lot of wisdom. I enjoyed talking with him.
I trusted him. And in this case, my trust was well placed. That was typical of my experience of the priesthood in my youth. It was almost all positive. Well, unfortunately, as we all know, it hasn't been that way for everybody. All too many have been violated by despicable actions that should never have happened. And even though this kind of abuse is rampant in every segment of our society right now, in fact, according to one study I read recently, 14% of men and 32% of women in our country claim they've been sexually abused by some adult during their youth. Even though it's so common, though, that's no excuse for the evil behavior of bishops, priests, and deacons. We preach chastity, and we're supposed to live chastity. It's as simple as that. And most, praise God, do live as they should. At least 96%, according to the 2004 study that was done by the John Jay College for Criminal Justice. But given the fact that we have about 35,000 priests in the United States right now, most people don't know there are so many priests in this country, but because we have so many, even a small percentage of bad ones can do a lot of damage to a lot of people. And they have. What I want to share with you now is why we're in this mess. Never shared this in a homily before, but I will now because it needs to be said. You will hear from people, especially, I dare say, in the mainstream media, that the reason the church has had to deal with these scandals in recent years is because the church is old-fashioned. Church is out of date. Church's morality is oppressive, etc., etc. Their basic point is that for things to get better, the Church needs to accept modern, progressive ideas, especially regarding personal moral issues like contraception and abortion and homosexuality. The Church, in other words, needs to get with the world. That, my brothers and sisters, is totally, completely, 100% wrong. The problem is not that the Church needs to get with the world. The problem is that after the Second Vatican Council in the 1960s, a lot of people in the Church, clergy and laity alike, did get with the world. They embraced the morality of the sexual revolution, which was happening in American society at the very same time. Some of us are old enough to remember that. And many of the people who embraced these immoral ideas got PhDs and were given positions of authority in Catholic institutions like colleges and seminaries. Some of them were and are members of the clergy. Some of them were and are lay people. This explains why some of you have sent your believing children off to Catholic colleges only to have them come back four years later with no faith and living the kind of lifestyle that would have made Hugh Hefner proud when he was around. It's not a coincidence. During the time when most of the abuse in the Church occurred, from the end of Vatican II in the mid-1960s to the mid-1980s, many seminaries, probably most seminaries in this country, were an absolute mess. Consequently, any sinful tendencies seminarians had going into the seminary tended to be exacerbated there. 
Many seminarians were not taught to accept and live the teachings of the Church regarding faith and morals. That probably surprises you, but it's true. I was in seminary at the end of all this, the early 1980s. They weren't taught the truth. Quite oppositely, they were taught by their professors in their theology classes, in their psychology classes, in their sociology classes, in their history classes, and even sometimes in their scripture classes. They were taught that everything in the church was changing. Because the Mass had changed, the fasting and abstinence laws of the church had changed. So these professors assured their seminarian students they had charge of, they assured these students that in the very near future, the church's moral teachings would change. So they just had to hang on and be patient for a little while. It was a lie. It was a big lie. And it was a big lie with terrible consequences. What it served to do is to discourage a lot of good seminarians, a lot of good men, sometimes causing them to leave the seminary entirely. I saw it when I was there. While at the same time it encouraged a lot of bad seminarians, many of whom were active homosexuals, to stay in and get ordained. That's why we're in the mess that we're in right now. Now the good news is, the atmosphere in most seminaries has improved a great deal in the last 30 or so years. Young priests today, generally speaking, have been well screened, They've received good formation, and they've been taught the truth in their classes. But the damage has been done, and we will probably reap the tragic consequences for some time to come. So what should we do? What should we do as faithful Catholics in the face of all this? Well, one thing I would say we should not do is to walk away from the Church. Because if we do that, in some sense, we're walking away from Jesus himself, since the Church is the body of Christ. The Church is also our spiritual mother. And you don't abandon your mother when she's sick. At least you shouldn't. And we need to try to remember that, in spite of the sins of her members, there is always great holiness in the Church. That's because Jesus Christ and many saints are always present in it. And it's through the Church that the grace of salvation comes to us from Jesus Christ. Our attitude ultimately should be the attitude of Peter and the Apostles at the end of John chapter 6. We heard these words a few moments ago, these beautiful words of Peter. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and we are convinced that you are the Holy One of God. That having been said, we should also do all that we can to support the victims of these and similar crimes, regardless of where they experience the abuse, at church, or at school, or at the doctor's office, or on a scouting trip, or at a family picnic, wherever. And of course, we should also pray for them, that they will ultimately find healing for that wound, their inner wound, and in the process find their way back to the body of Christ. And please, I ask you also, don't forget to pray for those of us in priestly ministry who are trying to do it right, 
who are being faithful to our vows, faithful to our promises, which is the majority, as I mentioned earlier. We need your prayers because the bad guys have cast a dark shadow on all of us. And that can be very discouraging. The bottom line is this. A good, holy priest is Satan's greatest enemy on this earth. Because that priest brings Jesus Christ sacramentally into the world. However, a bad priest is Satan's greatest ally. These scandals have made that fact crystal clear. Let me end my homily this morning on a positive note with some words from St. John Vianney, patron saint of priests whose statue is here in our sanctuary. He's speaking in this text I'm about to read to you. He's speaking about good priests, about those who are obedient, those who are faithful, those who do the Lord's work quietly each and every day. Pray that God will give us more of these priests in the future. John Vianney wrote, Oh, how great is the priest! If he realized what he is, he would die. God obeys him. He utters a few words, and the Lord descends from heaven at his voice to be contained within a small host. Without the sacrament of holy orders, we would not have the Lord. Who put him there in the tabernacle? The priest. Who welcomed your soul at the beginning of life? The priest. Who feeds your soul and gives it strength for the journey? The priest. Who will prepare it to appear before God, bathing it one last time in the blood of Jesus Christ? The priest. Always the priest. And if the soul should happen to die as a result of sin, who will raise it up? Who will restore its calm and peace? Again, the priest. After God, the priest is everything. Only in heaven will he fully realize what he is.